We live in a world that needs hope. I believe that. Would you tell your neighbor that? We live in a world that needs hope. We need hope. We really do. Author Erwin McManus, author and pastor of Mosaic Church, uh, Erwin writes this, hope is essential for our souls to thrive. That's powerful. If you don't believe you have a, f- a future worth living for, you lose hope. And, our, and your soul was not designed to live without hope. In fact, when we lose hope, he says, we lose our desire to live. That's powerful. Recently, I had the opportunity to attend two memorial services, uh, just a, a few weeks in between. And um, in, in comparing the two services, and I, you know, because I do what I do, I, I just compare and contrast, and I look at, it and I like, oh, I like that, and this, and you know, whatever. And in comparing the two services, I noticed a, a marked difference between the two services. One was marked by people who had no hope. Um, their loved one was gone, and there was a finality about it. You felt it in everything that people said, in, in um, sons that spoke about this mom who had passed away, that, that there, was, there was just a finality about it. No hope. The second service was engulfed with the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. And there was a, I don't even know how to explain it, there was just a breath of fresh air in the room. There was not a mourning, there was not a sadness. Yes, there was grief, but there was, there was hope in the room. You know what I'm talking about? It was such a marked difference. And it, it began to make me think, I came off of that second service, it was on a Saturday, and, and it began to make me think about the hope that I have, the hope that, the hope that we have. I, I have discovered, I think as many of you have, I have discovered a hope that has changed my life. I mean, it, it, it has changed the way I relate to other people. This hope has changed my outlook and perspective on life. It has changed my perspective and attitude towards struggles. This, this hope has affected my life. And I realize that this hope that I have is truly a blessing from God. I mean, I, I look around, I interact with people who have no hope. And I see the hope that I have found in Christ is truly, it's, it's a blessing. It's something that I experience every day. But the question that came to mind in the midst of all of that was, how much do I share this hope with other people around me? I, I wonder how many people in our community need hope. I wonder how many people that you know, that you work with, that you live near, need hope. Do you know people who need hope like I do? I think we all do. Can we pray before we get into the study today? God, we have found hope in you, in in what you have done through your son, Jesus. Like the old hymn of old that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's a hope that I find. That's a hope that I have. That's a hope that I hold on to, no matter what I feel or face in life. And I believe that there are so many people around us that live lives without hope. And you have called us to share. 
Help us to realize that today. We pray it in your name. Amen. Hey, grab that full-page outline in your brochure today. Let's get into part three of our series. We've learned a couple of things, and I always want to set the groundwork for us. We've learned how God started out his relationship with mankind by blessing us. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created human beings um, in his own image. I remember hearing a a child read this one time in a kid's class, and, and they read, God created human beings human beings in his image. It was really, anyway, I just thought that was funny. He, I think of that every time I read that passage. He created them male and female. Then God, what? Blessed them, blessed them. From there, we fast forward centuries and we read where God had a, a conversation with Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, read it with me, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. And even though God spoke this, um, this directly to Abraham, this was a blessing that God was speaking directly to him, the Apostle Paul also tells us that we are connected with this blessing through faith in Jesus. Take a look at Galatians 3. Paul says, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing, the same blessing Abraham Received. Now, let's just say, you know, it's probably obvious, but I just want to clarify, okay? We know some of the things that God blessed Abraham with. We know that God said to Abraham, you're going to have a son, an heir, you know, so that your servant doesn't have to inherit all of your stuff. Your son will. God also said to Abraham, your, your children, you're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be like the you know, sands and the seashore and the stars and the sky and all that. Listen, I'm not saying that God is saying you're going to have that kind of number of kids and descendants, all right? So just, I want to get that clear right up front. We, we're not saying that. What we are saying is that there, are, there is a level of blessing that God wants to, to move in your life and do in your life and show in your life that is amazing, and we believe that, and we look for that. That is a hope that we have. We believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to bless you. I believe that. But God doesn't bless you just to bless you. God doesn't bless you just so that you can keep it. Just so that you can wear the t-shirt, I'm blessed, how about you? You know, kind of thing. And I've seen those shirts before, by the way. God blesses you for a reason. We already read it, Genesis 12. God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. So God is blessing you for a reason, blessing you with a purpose. I want you to get this down. God wants to bless me so I can bless others. Come on, read it with me. God wants to bless me so I can bless others. That's the purpose. That's the reason. That's why he pours out blessing in your life. Today, I want us to look at an Old Testament account that happened around 800 BC. It was during a very difficult time in the northern kingdom of Israel. The scripture says in 2 Kings 6, that King Benadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged the city of Samaria. Now, we don't really relate to this kind of world unless you, you know, play some kind of medieval game or something. But siege is an interesting concept. When a, a city was under siege, everything was blocked up. Food source, water source, transportation source, roadways, everything was blocked by the opposing army. They would literally surround the city and block every source possible. The people had no outside access. And you say, what's the big deal? The big deal is 
When you lived in a city, a walled city, everything that was raised, crops, um, cattle, sheep, you name it, everything was outside the city. So you lost your source of everything when your city was under siege. In fact, usually an army, an enemy army, would burn all the crops, kill all the cattle, all the animals, all the sheep outside the city to prevent anyone from getting a food source. So basically what they wanted to do when they lay siege was starve you to death. Cut off your water supply and your food supply. So it says in verse 24, as a result there was a great famine in the city with the result of this siege. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. You might want to write somewhere in your outline, that's about $400 today. Why would they sell a donkey's head to eat? Now, when you think about that for just a minute, there's not a whole lot of meat on a donkey's head. It's just gross, first off, right? Um, <laughs> I vividly, I was not there, but I was told about this, that... that my family one time um, was invited to a meal at an, at an Asian restaurant, and our kids were at the table when um, some kind of a fish was brought to the table. Uh, was it a fish? Oh, it was a chicken, and, and it was everything. It was the head, the beak, the, everything was there. They had never seen it like that, you know, and it was, oh, it was gross. This kind of grosses you out. That, that was a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces, of, so, and a cup it gets worse, of dove's dung. How would you like to be the collector of that? But anyway, of dove's dung sold for five pieces. So that's about 60 bucks. A cup of dove's dung. Dove poop. Okay, what do you do with that? I'm not even going to go there. But that just, ordinarily you wouldn't eat the flesh of, an, of a donkey's head. The head of an animal is not going to have a lot of meat on it. But there's some, there's some symbolic meaning here that's even worse than the grossness of this. We're talking about Jewish people. And there were certain things that were kosher or not kosher to them, unclean or clean. And according to Old Testament law, both in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, a donkey was an unclean animal and was not allowed to be eaten under any circumstance. So this... Famine was so bad that they not only stepped outside the norm of what you would consume as a person, they ignored the laws of God and pushed back on even who they were. That's how bad this famine was. The least edible part of a donkey became extremely costly. And things only got worse. Verse 26. One day as the king was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. And the king said, what's the matter? She said, a woman said to me, come, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden your son. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. So the king sent a message to the prophet Elisha. Elisha replied, this is what the Lord says, by this time, when? Tomorrow. By this time, tomorrow. 24 hours from now. By this time, tomorrow, 
in the markets of this city, Samaria, six quarts of choice flour and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Remember how much the donkey's head was going for? It was 80 pieces of silver. He's saying, basically, that something utterly impossible is going to take place, that God is going to bring his blessing. In 24 hours, he's going to bring his blessing. There will be so much food, a, a plenty of food, that prices will bottom out. He predicted that in the midst of nothing, God would bring blessing. So then we change perspectives, kind of like changing camera angles. Now we are going from the inside of the city now to the outside of the city gates. And we read in verse 3 of chapter 7, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. In that day, if people had leprosy, they always lived outside the city because of the fear of the disease and the contagion and all of that. They were treated as outcasts. Um, in fact, so much so that if you were declared to, to have leprosy and you were to live outside the city gates, many families had a funeral service for you because they considered you dead already. That's how much of an outcast you were. So these lepers were dirt poor, depending on others' generosity for food, for their existence. That's why they were at the city gates. You know Why? waiting on the garbage to be dumped over the gates so that they could eat something. Problem is, the famine was so bad, there was no garbage. So these four lepers were dying of starvation at the city gates. In verse 3, we pick up the story. They said to themselves, why should we sit here waiting to die, to starve to death? We will starve if we, will, if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, that's a big if. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, no big deal, right? What do we got to lose? We would have died anyway. So these four men were dying. Don't, don't miss this. Dying men, starving men, and they began to consider their options, none of which were very good. They really had no hope. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. And when they came to the camp, no one was there. For the Lord, don't miss that right there, for the Lord, say that with me, for the Lord had caused the Aramean army. Don't miss that part. Sometimes we read right past that. This is God bringing blessing. God's doing something. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of chariots, the galloping of horses, and the sounds of a great army approaching. Was it really? No, it was four guys with leprosy. So they panicked. The soldiers panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, and everything else as they fled for their lives. There it is. In the midst of nothing, God provides blessing. When the men with leprosy arrived at the camp, they went into one tent after another. You could almost keep reading, after another, after another, 
right? What has he got in there? I don't know. He's got roast beef. Let's go. You know, I mean, this was the ultimate buffet. They were beginning to enjoy it. It says they were eating and drinking and they carried off silver and golden clothing and hid it. We, we have it all right here. It's all right in front of us. Imagine their surprise coming into this camp and they discover the blessing of God. Did they deserve it? No. Had they earned it? No. But they sure enjoyed it, didn't they? Going from tent to tent to tent, carrying off armloads of stuff. They experienced more than enough. It was more than they, than they needed. These men were so caught up in the excitement of the moment over their blessing that they forgot about everyone else who was in the city starving to death was truly a blessing of God. They, they could have enjoyed it and hoarded it as much as they wanted for days. After all, hey man, God blessed us. He didn't bless them. I mean, look at how they've treated us. We've been an outcast for, we were eating their garbage. If anybody deserves this right now, it's us. Hmm. But then, things started changing in their mind and their perspective. They realized that others needed what they were experiencing. So finally they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't, what's that word? Sharing it with anyone. Come on, let's go and tell the people. So they decided, don't miss this, they decided that God's blessing wasn't just for them. They decided to tell others about what they had found. They decided to help others as they had been helped. They decided to bless others as they had been blessed. So they went back to the city, verse 10 says, and told the gatekeepers what happened. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp because they refused to hoard the blessing of God. Don't miss this. Because they refused to hang on to the blessing of God, a city was saved. An entire city was saved. They became the catalyst of God's blessing for their entire city. Four guys with leprosy. Four guys who previously were dying and starving with no hope had found God's blessing. But they decided not to keep it to themselves. They would share it and they saved a city. So Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday night, we host our trick-or-treating at Pathway Church. This is going to be our 10th year of doing this. We're into double digits now, not only on our Easter events, but our, our trick-or-treating event. 10 years of hosting this event in our community. I've had several conversations over the years, but really more so this year with many of you about our events. We host other events, many of you know, outdoor family movie nights, um, our Celebrate Easter at Pathway Church, all these kinds of, um, we call them visibility events, outreach events. And some of us wonder why we keep doing them 
without getting new people to attend on Sundays. Now, there are some people that have come. Some of you have come from some of these events, but we have to admit that the results have been slim. And so I've had people ask me just recently, several people apart from each other, are we going to continue hosting these events even though we're getting little results? I've got to be honest with you. Is it okay to be honest? I've kind of had my doubts too. Would you tell your neighbor he's had his doubts too? Okay. I'm just like you, right? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't make me any different in the whole doubting area. And sometimes there have been moments that I have wrestled with this same question. You know, I, to be honest, I've wrestled right here in this room. I, my tendency when I have things on my mind and on my heart and things that are bothering me as I come into this room, I have, you know, I have a key. So, I, you know, I, I come into this room and I, and I just kind of walk and I talk with God. And sometimes I'm nice and sometimes I'm not. And you say, wow, you, you're not nice to God? Hey, read the Psalms. You know, David wasn't always nice to God either. But God's a big boy, and he can take it, and he's not really put off by it. He just wants my honesty. And there are times when I've come into this room, and it's like, you know, God, I'm kind of tired of the whole trick-or-treating thing. Because the results are just not always there. I mean, we make a huge impact, and the event is always growing. It, it has become almost our largest, I, I believe it's our largest um, visibility event that we do. There's so many people that come. If you haven't done it with us, you'll see. There's so many people that come, and it's continuing to grow, and it's an amazing thing, and I'm not taking anything away from the event, but it's like, I feel like we're not just doing the event for the event. Does that make sense? We're doing the event because we want to see this event affected by that event. We want to see our Sundays affected. We want to see people come, not just to our church, but to come to God. And um, probably in my, in my worst moments, okay, we're just being honest, right? In my worst moments, I have said, you know, God, they just come to our events because they're free. I mean, come on, God. They eat our cotton candy. They eat our popcorn. They eat our hot dogs. They jump on our bounce house. Their kids go away with like a pound of free candy. And we never see them again until another free event pops up. And then all of a sudden, we're their church. I'm just being honest. Don't tell me you've never thought that if you've been around Pathway for any length of time, done our events with us. Because you probably have. Some of you have said those things to me. So I've, I've questioned the effectiveness of our event again and again. And I have said to God, God, why are we still doing these things? And recently, I felt like God pulled me up short. That's a phrase that I got from my dad. It must be a Southern thing. What that means is he gets in your grill. He gets in your face. He pulls me up short, almost like he's grabbing me by the collar and pulling me up short. I felt like God pulled me up short, and he began speaking to me in very hushed tones, like when you've got somebody right up to your face, and you're talking to them through your teeth. And God said to me very clearly, you think the community is here for your church. Yeah. I mean, all along I've assumed that the community was here to help us grow. 
That's, that's why we're doing these events, God, is to grow. That's why we're, that's why we're reaching out like this, right? Is to grow, to help us reach our potential, to help us become who God wants us to be as a church. I thought the community was here for us. Sorry. But I didn't. God said, you think the community is here for your church, but actually your church is here for the community. I thought, we, I thought we have events to get people from the community into Pathway Church. Everybody follow me? But God is saying to me, and I think saying to us, I'm sure saying to us, that he wants us to have events to get us, Pathway Church, us, into the community. Hmm. God has us here for them, not them here for us. To get into the lives of people. Let me, let me tell you, I don't even have this on my notes, so don't try to follow me, Anthony, on this. Um, this morning in my quiet time, I got up, I woke up about six and um, just had this, all this on my heart and my mind. I knew what I was wanting to share today and so I, I'm in Psalms, and so I was in Psalm 101 today and reading through it, and I wrote some stuff in my journal and just prayed and talked to God and some stuff. And then I pulled out a book that I've been reading regarding churches and transitioning, and I, I read a lot about churches. This book's called Reclaiming Glory. And um, no kidding, I was, I was right here. I started uh, right here. You can see I'm dated today. Okay, this is page 63. So this is now 65. This is, this is how God is just continuing to speak to me and I think speak to us about this. Listen to what this says. You don't redefine your church for your community by changing your name, updating your sanctuary, or changing your music. You redefine the church for your community by how you serve it. You don't serve your community to get people into your church. You serve the community to get your church into the lives of the people in the community. I highlighted that because it's like, wait, did you just like look at my sermon notes and write that in the book or what? I didn't see that before this. See, many of us, we, we go to work, we live our lives, we go to church, all this, and we never interact with the people in our community. I'm just like you. We just kind of live our lives. Life is that way, right? Right? I think God is wanting us, wanting you and me to engage with the people in our community. I believe God wants us to get into the lives of the people in our community. And one of the ways that we can do that, one of the ways that as Pathway Church we can force ourselves to do it. Because do you realize that any group, not just a church, any group has a tendency to become self-absorbed? and self-centered, and self-focused. Any group you're in, it becomes that way. You probably have seen families become that way. Any group can naturally, will naturally become self-centered. And so God is saying, you have got to bust that wide open because that's not the kind of church 
that God has called us to be. That's not the kind of follower that he calls you to be. I don't know when this is coming, but one of the things that God's been talking to me about is, you know, where he says in Acts, where God is talking to the new followers, the church, and he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you start with Jerusalem. Where is our Jerusalem? Our Jerusalem is Claremont for our church. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we're not going to reach anybody outside of that. You may live outside of that zone. That's okay. But our Jerusalem is Claremont. How are we doing at being the witness to Claremont? How are we doing at being the witness to Claremont when now Horizon is outside of Claremont, where the Nazarene church is no longer there? Okay? There's witnesses that have moved on or changed or closed. In this Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, how are we doing? If you are one of the many of, of us who are involved Tuesday night, I got to applaud you because you are serving our community. Now, you may not see it as that. You say, I'm just giving out candy. I'm just making popcorn. I'm just saying, hi, no, you can't bring your dog in. You know, that kind of stuff, right? No, sign right here. here let me help you with a wristband. You know, I, I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. You can have my job. You know, my job is just walking around, making sure everybody stays safe. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Is this over yet? You know, kind of thing. I mean, I'll just be honest, right? We're, we've, all, we've all done that job. And if you've been here for any length of time, you may have done this repeatedly. You may have served, you know, several years in a row. But listen to me. When you make popcorn, you are serving the people of our community. When you give out candy, you are serving the people of our community. When you register people, you are serving them. When you keep them safe, you are serving them. When you greet them, you are serving the people of our community. When you take pictures, you are serving the people of our community. When you help with the setup and the teardown, you are serving the people of our community. Friends, if you've never had a hands-on experience of serving the people of our community, you are not doing what God is calling you to do. And I want you to get this down. God wants us to share his blessing with our community. God has blessed us at Pathway Church. And I don't know if you come into this place thinking this way, but I do every day. I feel honored, I feel privileged to, to be a part of this, who we are. God has blessed us with hope in Jesus. Amen? He really has. I mean, you know, if, if we ever, if we ever would just take the, the masks off and the coverings off and just share who we really were before following Christ, every one of us in this room, I think, would be shocked at how much grace and how much forgiveness and how much mercy God has poured out in our lives. To think, for me, I, I think where I could have been, where I could have gone, and where I am now, it's only because of his grace. The Apostle John tells us something that I think is so huge. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone, anyone who believes in him would have life. Anyone. I don't know if it was, was it last year that that guy with the wolf costume was floating around or two years ago? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm safety, right? I'm security team. And there was this guy floating around. I didn't even know who he was connected with, but I was following him. I was on his trail. It's like the wolf was be, being hounded by the dog, right? All right, because this guy had this wolf mask on and he was, and he was creeping around and he wasn't really hanging out with any group and all that. And, and I'm like, Okay, this guy, this, this is really weird. I got to find out who this guy is. So I'm following him around. Finally, he ends up he's actually with a group. I don't know why he was scaring everybody else around him, but it was just kind of creepy. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and <laughs> I don't know why this came to mind, but I was thinking, the wolf needs Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? The, the, the guy that I interacted with that night, and I told him, dude, knock it off. Pull the mask up so that you don't freak out the kids. This is not a scary event. I had to talk to him in that way. And he was very apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize. I'm like, cool. Don't do it again or you'll leave. You know, kind of thing. Right? I was nice, but, you know. But he needs Jesus. The person that you're going to interact with, if you were working on Tuesday night, to do the wristbands or to do the popcorn and to give out candy. What, these families, these individuals, these kids, they need Jesus. We have a hope of Jesus in our lives. And we are called to share that. We need to share him. You know what else God has blessed us with? He's blessed us with an amazing campus. I don't know if you, if you think about that when you come on. I know our building is older and, and all that, and it's not got all the bells and whistles and, and all that, but you, but you come in and it's like, wow. God has put us in the heart of Claremont. I don't know if you know the history of our church, but, but years ago, back in the 50s, there were, there were these builders. You can Google it and find this out. Back in the 50s, there were these builders, um, Tavares, and I just lost the other guy's name, sorry. Um, Tavares and somebody um, were wanting to build homes in this area in the 50s, and it was going to be a revolutionary way of doing housing. And so they decided that a part of that process, they wanted to donate certain plots of land for certain things that a city would need. And they donated this piece of property to this church to be started on years ago. And then over the years, this church has been built by pastors and leaders and builders and all of that has been built up all of these years. And the amazing thing is we sit on this piece of property that God has provided us in buildings that God has provided on the shoulders of other people. God has provided for us mortgage-free. On, on top of that, and you don't know this, but on top of that, you know, let's be honest with you, we just paid our property tax for the church. And because we're a nonprofit, the way things work out, it was less than 50 bucks. And this piece of land and, and buildings that's on it, we know for a fact several years ago we had it appraised at $4.7 million. You say, but that's a lot of value, and that's, yeah. This is, this is prime property that God has given us in the heart of Claremont. We are located in the Mount Streets. And any of you that know Claremont, that's, that's a good place to be 
on this side of, of 92111. That's an amazing, God knew what he was doing way back in the 50s. He's given us an awesome campus. I mean, think of, just think about the trick-or-treating. Why do you think we do trick-or-treating and go door-to-door? We've got all these doors, right? They go around and it's it just, it's so made for this kind of thing, for this kind of outreach. And then God has blessed us with some amazing people. I mean, we got people who love people. You know what I'm talking about? We, we've got people here that just, they just love people. We've got people that love kids. Most of them are right now serving. There's a few that's in here, but most of them are up top, you know, upstairs serving our kids. They just love, they just exude this love for kids. We got people with mad skills and talents, technology people, music people, leadership people. Uh, we, we, we have people that are so stinking generous that give and give and give, and they, they make calls. You don't know any of this, but they make calls to me. It's like, okay, what can I give to now? I've got some extra. <laughs> We've got people that are caring and serving-minded that it takes one text or one phone call, and they're there. The community isn't here for us. We're here for them. God has us as a church here for them. We're here for a reason. I want you to get this down. God has positioned Pathway Church to be a catalyst of blessing to our community. Do you realize that God pours out his blessing on us so that it will just slop over? Have you ever done that? You pour something in a bowl or a cup and you just fill it too much. Do you ever do that? And it just, oh, and it should, hopefully it's not hot, right? And it just kind of oozes over and it's like, you know, and I, I'll just tell something on myself. I have a tendency to do that sometimes too much. And usually it's when my wife is standing right there in the kitchen. And, and I just, you know, bad move, right? Husbands, you know that. And, and I just, you know, and it's like, oh, oh, oh. And my wife is like, you know, are you going to clean that up? Because I'm not. You know, kind of thing. You know, it's just that oozing. This is what God does. He just, he just keeps pouring it. And it's like, hang on. And you're like, well, it's going to go over. Just, hang on. And it just, it just oozes over. God wants to give us so much that it will just slop over into the lives of other people around us. People who are starving and dying for hope. People in our community. I'm going to blow your mind here. What if God has called our church to be the church that saves our city? What if we are the four lepers that, have, that were dying and starving and needed hope and God blessed us for a reason? We have so much to share with our community. Would you bow your heads with me?